I just, I just enjoy so much just the time to worship together with you and what God is doing in my heart. And, 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 and I want to constantly hear more and more testimonies of, of just what God's doing in your life. We need to hear that. Why? Because it's for his glory. Right? He reveals himself to us and he blesses us so that we can bless others, so that we can glorify him. It all comes back to him. Anything good that comes through my life is him. It's him working in me and through me. And, and, and it's, it's that which comes through our life that glorifies him that's going to last forever. Everything else is going to be gone. And uh, one of the things that we can do, see, we, we talk about this. Now, all the stuff in this world, a lot of things that distract us and take up our time, take us away from what we need to be doing. We're all gonna, we're gonna leave them all behind. All this stuff will be left behind. There's really nothing you can take with you when you die. Except this, other people. I don't mean take them when you die. I'm just saying, take them to heaven. Come on, don't misquote me. Don't misunderstand me. So all this other stuff we can't take to heaven with us, but we can take other people. Does that sound better? All right. So I want to invite you to turn back to Acts chapter 2, because I want to go back to the beginning on the day of Pentecost, when the promise that Jesus gave that he would not leave us like orphans, he would come to us. He said he's going to do the gift of the Father, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of life, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. So in that, you see the person of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, yet you see the oneness of our God because Jesus said, I will come to you. But he said, I'm sending the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. God's presence in us. Now, now in those early days, they didn't have the completed New Testament. The apostles were there. This is ushering in a new age in the scripture. God's new covenant. Depends on which way you want to go with this. A new dispensation, however you want to look at it. We're living in the age of grace. God's kingdom has come in our hearts and is here in this world. And you and I, who are part of the body of Christ, do you realize Jesus has ascended back to heaven. The apostles, none of those guys are here. We have the word of God, but it's not just print on a page. It is alive and powerful. The only visible representation that the world has of Christ and of his kingdom is us right now. He's coming back. And every knee's going to bow, yes. But right now, you and I are the only visible representation on planet earth, in the flesh, right now. Not just us here, but those of us who are part of the body of Christ that are alive on earth right now. It's a very important time. Very important responsibility. We've been talking about focusing in September on reaching out, reaching others, evangelism. The word evangelism has to do with becoming a faithful witness. It means to, basically the word means to tell the or to share good news. The good news. What is the good news? It's the gospel. So this that we have here is too good not to share. Amen? 
I mean, when you get something so good, I'm going to tell you, if I eat at a restaurant and it's good, I'm going to be talking about it, right? Uh, you know, the fact that the Razorbacks are 4-0 and is good. And I, I just happened to mention it just all of a sudden, you know. Uh, I don't know how. But uh, there's good things we want to share, right? I, I, you know, uh, if we talk very long, the fact that the Cardinals have won 15 games straight might come up. Don't want to jinx that. But, you know, good stuff that happens in your life, you get a raise or you get something good that happens. You try something good, you buy something, you really like it. You want to tell your friends about it. But this... Beats them all. Nothing holds any candle to this. The good news of the gospel. It's too good not to share. Now I want us to see how this happened. I want us to look at the the method of how all this came about in the beginning because the principles still apply to us today. So we've read this before. I know, like, well, you preached on that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, well, we didn't get done. So look at verse 41. Read it with me, Acts chapter 2. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, the ESV. You follow along. It says in verse 41, so those who received his word, because Peter had preached under the power of the Holy Spirit, the gospel, those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they, who's they? Those people, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, and uh, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, They received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, I want us to draw out of this some very important things to apply. And so let's go fast. I'm still struggling with my voice. It's like four weeks in a row. Had a little problem with the ragweed. Somebody shared a cold with me in the middle of that. And it's just kind of, but, but praise God, I'm talking better than I was yesterday. So, right? So you're saying, use it wisely, brother. Right, let's get this done. Okay, so here we are. Jesus said that we're going to be light of the world uh, uh, and the salt of the earth. Light in a dark world and salt to a decaying world. But we are to live as lights of the world. And besides being Christ-like, One of the ultimate goals of this is sharing the good news with other people. One of the goals of discipleship, of you and I being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, is that we reproduce Christ's likeness in other people. Reproducing the life of Christ in the lives of other human beings like you and me, that we're equally as lost. But before we can grow as a disciple, as a Christ follower, before we can mature, we have to be born, right? That's how we receive the gospel. We receive that good news. We accept it. We put our faith in Christ. We're born again. Jesus told Nicodemus that unless you're born again, you can't. It doesn't even matter if you're one of the top, uh, if you're one of the top Pharisees, if you're one of the top Jewish teachers at that time, which Nicodemus was. That unless you're born again, you won't even see the kingdom of God. That's coming. So that's where it starts, right? It starts there. And as we are born, we grow. 
And, uh, and as we grow, God has given the perfect context for us to grow, for us to mature, and for us to find the spiritual gifts uh, that he has for us, uh, for us to be nourished. We're connected with a body of believers. And the context that a lot of this, all this happens is, in this, the scriptural context, is the local church. Everyone who's saved becomes a part of his kingdom. They become a part of Christ's body, his church. Now, you remember the word church in the original language never refers to a building. It always refers to a people. The word literally in the original language is ecclesia, which means his called out ones. Those he's called out of this lost world of darkness into his kingdom of light. Where it is called out. And we gather together, but everyone in the New Testament who received Christ, they were connected. As you see happened there. The number, they were added to each other. As time goes on, you see that everyone that receives Christ... Not only are baptized, but they connect themselves to other believers. And local churches didn't have buildings like we meet in. They met where they could meet. But as you're going to see, that this was the context. This is the perfect environment for God to grow them and do these things. And the five elements of uh, the essential elements of discipleship that we talked about a few weeks ago that I'm going to mention in a moment, they all take place within this context. And that's what prepares us to share with the outside world. Because the thing about it is, is this. So when I talk about the church, we're talking about the believers, okay? Not the building. We do meet here, but we meet other places as well. It was hundreds of years before churches could just like have a place dedicated to meet. Because during those first few hundred years, if they all met in one place openly, uh, a lot of times the Romans would want to round them up and... uh, Put them in prison. Kill them. See? During the early days. Now, now later on, it did happen. And I'm so thankful that God, in his grace, has provided us this place to gather, to meet. We could sometimes call this a house of God, that we've come to the house of God. But we only mean that in the sense of that we've dedicated this facility to God. Right? But it's not the house of God. In the New Testament, like like the Old Testament, the house of God was the temple or the tabernacle. In the New Testament, the house of God is literally the physical body of believers. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So guess what you do? You didn't just come to the house of God today. If you're a believer, you carried the house of God around with you all week long. Hope you brought the house of God here. Did you come to the house of God or did you bring the house of God? Because your body, the Bible says, your physical body... Spirit of God indwells within you is the house of God. That's who you are. You need to know who you is, right? Amen. Because if you is who you ain't, then you ain't who you is. Be who you are in Christ. So before we can make an impact on the outside, certain things must be happening on the inside. On the inside of us and the inside as we gather together as local believers who are called out of this world and come together. The in-reach has got to be in place before we can have the outreach. Does that make sense? Okay, so follow us on this, all right here. So we've got some observations here. That um, if we're healthy, if we're a healthy local body, one of the signs of being healthy is that we're reproducing. That we are reaching others, all right? 
that's a sign. If, if that's not happening, something's unhealthy. And it's not, if, if, it's not that we're reproducing ourselves. We are reproducing Christ's likeness. We're making disciples for him. Right? Not just like members of our group. We're making disciples. We're helping people become followers of Christ as we follow Christ. Understand? Right? Okay, it's very important. So, but the local church is like God's incubator for new believers. It's the environment where we grow and develop just like a healthy family prepares children to become parents themselves. Someday, a healthy church helps enable you to grow. And because you're connected to the body, you're going to receive nutrients, right, that you wouldn't otherwise have. But guess what else? Being a part of, there are parts of my body that help get rid of toxins too. I just thought of that. Think, think about it. In my life as a believer, there are certain spiritual nutrients that I'm only going to get from God through other members of the body And there are toxins in my life that I need to get rid of. And God's going to help use other members of the body to help me there too. I need both. I was just thinking about being spiritually nourished. But I also realized that from my flesh, I've got toxins there that need to be. And and God uses the body to help us be healthy. God's given us this perfect incubator right here within the local group of believers where we come together. Because we understand that evangelism doesn't happen in a vacuum. And occasionally, people just are seeking God, and they know that this building is here, and that Christians meet here, and they just kind of come here and thinking, well, I should be able to find out something about God here. That has happened, and there are some of you here as a testimony to that. But most of the time, that's not what happens. And typically, what happens is, is that we take the good news to them where they are. Right? That's why we need to be involved in all places. Oh, I would never go there. Be around those people. Well, then how are you going to share the gospel? You may not be the one called to do it, but somebody is. Right? He never calls us to just sit in our little, our little corner and, and just think about ourselves. We're to share the good news with everyone around us. And these elements that we see here in this passage, you remember them? I'm going to put them back up there. These are some of our purposes. We're going, we're going to be going through this in our membership class. Uh, and, and here they are now, again. Now you see all these things happen as they were together. They were praying together. They were breaking bread together. And and oftentimes that not just sharing food, but they were sharing the Lord's Supper together. They were worshiping. They were praising God together. They were worshiping. Instruction. They were following the the apostles' teaching. Discipleship. There was fellowship. They had all things in common. We're going to talk about that. Ministry. They were serving one another, and they were serving those who were lost. And then the Lord was adding to the church. So I want to say that, and we mentioned first week, that of these purposes that you see them fulfilling and that these are purposes of the church, not just here, but other places in the New Testament, that, that um, out of all five of these, there's only one that we won't do when we get to heaven. Because we're going to be worshiping. We're going to still be learning more and more about how awesome our God is. That'll never stop throughout all eternity. We're going to continue to fellowship and share together in a way we could never imagine here. We're going to continue to minister, not that we'll have needs, but we'll continue to serve each other and serve God. But there's one thing that you can only do during the time that you're on planet Earth, and that is sharing the gospel, evangelism. And the clock is ticking, and time is running out. As a church, this is one of the things, but it grows. What I want to show you is that it grows out of these other things being solid in our lives. So uh, look at the early church. Look at these guys right here, how they grew. First of all, it was swift. 
Immediately, it says, they were immediately, right after they received the gospel, they were immediately sharing the gospel with other people. They were all doing that. They hadn't even had time to become perfectly mature. There were things about that they didn't know. Listen, you may not know everything, but you know more than somebody you know. Share what you know. Don't share what you don't know. Just share what you know. And you don't have to have all the answers right now. Share the good news. Um, they, they, you, you don't think that you're not worthy. If you, if you wait till you feel like you're worthy, you'll never be worthy. You'll never feel that way. So it was swift, but it was also simple. I noticed right here there's no complicated programs or campaigns or any type complicated stuff. It's just as they worship and as they fellowship, as they served one another, and as they, and they grew in their understanding of God's word, they just couldn't help but overflow onto others. Right? Amen? All right. It was not only swift, simple, but it was systematic. Notice that God was adding to their numbers. Did you notice that? God added what? To their numbers. Whose number? To their number, the churches, those who were part of the body of Christ, to their number. There was no such thing as a disciple who was, as we would say nowadays, unchurched. There was no such thing as a disciple who was by himself without being connected to other believers. No such thing. They didn't, as I said, have church buildings, but they gathered in clusters of believers. And you can see here, they met all of them at times in the biggest place they could find, the temple complex. The temple was still standing then in Jerusalem. And they also met, did you see what else? In verse 46, they attending the temple together and breaking breads in their homes from house to house. They were meeting in large group, like we try to do on Sundays. And they were also meeting in small groups. Both ways. But notice that everyone was connected. They were added to each other. That means everyone was connected to someone who was connected to someone else, who was connected to someone else, who was connected to someone else, who was connected with the apostles. Because everything being, before the New Testament was written, everything being taught has to trace back to the very ones that the resurrected Jesus himself personally sent out. And so everything that is being taught traces to these guys and to Jesus himself because there were already people preaching and teaching false things. So they were all connected to each other and connected to the apostles' teaching because that came from Christ himself and eventually was written down for us. It was systematic. One reason why a lot of believers don't function very well is, is we detach ourselves from the larger body of Christ. You don't have uh, in place uh, the, the, the support to supply what you're lacking. I only have just very few spiritual gifts. So if it's left up to me, I can't do much by myself. But with you guys, and we all have different spiritual gifts and abilities from God, God amazingly does his work, right? And, and there are a lot of things that I want to pray, Lord, just you and me, just me and Jesus, right? And I, all I need is a Bible and, and just, you know, a place to pray and I, I'm all right. Well, listen, that's important. I may not want to hear right now. And I don't admit to myself that I don't want to hear. And when I read in the scripture, I filter it through a grid that I have there that I don't even realize I have. But whenever you talk to me and you spot something and you bring up a scripture and you apply it, or I listen to someone else teach, it sneaks past my defense and hits me right in the heart. So basically, if you isolate yourself, you're going to get weird. And some of you already, never mind. 
mean, you look at all these lone people that do blow up things and stuff, you know, like the Unabomber, they're, they're off isolating themselves. Anytime you do that, you do get a little, you stay away from other people. You just tend to get a little odd. Uh, and spiritually, you're not going to receive what you need, the nutrients and the help and, and, and the working of God. And so uh, it, was, it was systematic. But also, notice that it was also spreading. Uh, now, things were going amazing in Jerusalem. They're meeting in the temple. They're having impact on all the people in Jerusalem. Now, I'm sure that the enemy thought, you know what? I've got to slow this down. I've got to stop this. And so what happens? God allowed, God didn't do it, but God allowed Satan to stir up persecution. It didn't come from the Romans, strangely enough, at that time, but it came from religious people who rejected Christ. And they began to persecute. And it wasn't long before they grabbed a guy that was a servant of the church and also preached a great sermon in Acts 7 named Stephen. They drug him out and they stoned him to death. They beat him with rocks till he was dead. Yeah. And a great persecution, it says, arose after that. And the church was scattered. So what Satan, listen to me, are you listening to me? What Satan did to intimidate and to try to stop what was happening was already part of God's plan. God used that. What did Jesus tell them that they were to do? They were to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, where they would never think of going otherwise, and to the uttermost parts of the world. But they weren't doing that yet. But now they are doing as they scattered for safety. Everywhere they went, they were sharing the gospel. Next thing you know, it's in Samaria. Next thing you know, it's Capernaum. And then it spreads to the ends of the world. So God, we're studying on Wednesday nights in our Operation Worldview class about how God does his work sometimes voluntarily. It's people, yes, Lord, I'll go. Sometimes it's involuntarily. So involuntarily, they went, right? But God still had a purpose in it. Yeah, Stephen died. Yeah, others may have. We think, how could God let that happen? Because God is focused on a higher glory and a higher goal in what you see here on earth. What Stephen saw, we got a little glimpse of. Before he died, he said, I see Christ standing at the right hand of the glory of God. Now, the Bible says when Jesus ascended, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. But Stephen saw him standing. I believe that he saw the Lord standing up to receive him. Maybe standing up and giving him a standing ovation. I'm just saying, when we say, oh, how could that happen? Oh, that's horrible. On the other side, it looks totally different. But God used that to spread the church. And they went everywhere into other neighborhoods and villages and regions. And when they went, they took church with them. Right? And it overflowed into more and more people. <clears throat> See, they had to be moved out of their comfort zone. And that's what we'll do. We just want to be comfortable. And, um, you know, uh, and, and what happens is, is when the Lord starts moving, here's what happens. Um, I was just talking about this. So much that was on my heart to preach, I've talked about to so many of you. And uh, Brother Randy Gaddis was talking to him about this very thing yesterday. Is that when the Lord starts to move, because if we don't watch it, we do what Jesus warned about in one of the churches in Revelation about we become lukewarm, right? Lukewarm is where you just don't feel anything, right? I mean, when you put your hand in really true lukewarm water, you don't really feel much, right? So if you're cold, at least you have a reaction. If you're hot, you have a reaction. Jesus, I'd rather you be cold or hot, but because you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Here's what I found. 
when God starts to move and things start to heat up, if we're lukewarm, the lukewarm Christians are the ones that get uncomfortable the quickest. You get uncomfortable. So what I'm saying is, is when I begin to get a lukewarm, if you're a little lukewarm, part of what God's going to do is make you uncomfortable. We just want to come to church and things be safe and comfortable and just, you know, I just want to you can come there so I can feel good. I can chalk that off my list for this week. And, but God says, I've got more going on than that. And it's not just going on on Sundays. It's going on every day. And to get you where I want you, I love you, but I'm going to have to make you uncomfortable. Things are going to be a little different than the way maybe you prefer it. We've got all of our preferences. I mean, there's so many options today. You know, it's so confusing. Even going to restaurants, you've got so many options, too many options. I thought I knew what I wanted. Tell this guy, well, do you want this, 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 or this? It's like, now I don't know. I'm not sure. You know, just give me a number seven. And, well, do you want this or this? Well, you know, I just... Yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure. As sure as, I, as sure as I pick one, I wish I had the other one. You know what? That's the way we are, though. We want all of our preferences, and it's that way we bring that consumer mentality into church with us, right? And if some just everything just didn't suit my taste on everything, I just go to somewhere else, and then that doesn't work out, and you never find any place that's just right for you. I don't know who I'm talking to. Maybe somebody out there. I don't know. But the thing about it is, same way with preachers too. Um, it's not all, listen, sometimes when we're uncomfortable, when things just start, that, that, that's where God is, is moving us. God is preparing us. God is, is pushing us. Um, so that's true. Lukewarm time, Christians get the most uncomfortable first. But the church must be diligent in making sure that these things we're talking about, worship, fellowship, Amen. Instruction, discipleship, ministry. All these things are happening within our church. But it's not that we become inward focused. We focus there so that we can be outward focused on the rest of the world like Jesus is. But if we don't get things right here, we're not going to make an impact out there. It's just that simple. It's not going to be real. So let's look at some of the object- objectives that, uh, they had, that were reached here. Before they could reach out, they had to reach in, right? But before you can reach in, you have to reach up, <laughs> right? They had a healthy devotion. Notice there, we got to have this, folks. It says in verse 42, they, were, they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. They were continuing steadfastly in these things, in, the apostles, in, in, in all these things. That means they were continually devoting themselves to the essentials of Scripture of the teaching, of worship, of fellowship, of all of these things. To devote yourselves means you give it your all. That's what they were doing. They were devoted. We've got to be devoted. Amen? They were strong because they were devoted to being continually fortified by the Word of God, by biblical fellowship, and worshiping together, and worshiping at home. And this formed the context for their work of sharing the gospel outside. If we don't have that inside, we're not going to be very effective sharing the gospel on the outside. They didn't just meet on Sundays and go through the motion of doing church. They were committed to the work of Christ down in the deepest parts of their lives. And they were not only devoted, just devoted to all these things. It specifically mentions devoted to the apostles' teaching. If you have an older translation, it says their doctrine. The word doctrine means teaching. 
Now, some of us may not be progressing spiritually because we're not devoting ourselves to learning and applying the Word of God. And that's why we have so many opportunities here and with different Bible classes, with things we're doing on Sunday morning, Sunday school, preaching, teaching, Bible classes, uh, Wednesday night, uh, CR. Man, the, the 12-step study is a Bible study. Man, there's just so many opportunities and discipleship classes. We're going to do some experiment with some new things. Occasionally, we may meet a different night. May meet some, may have a four or five week Bible study here on Sunday nights. And you know, the thing about it is, is how bad do you want it? How, how important is it to you? I mean, because we don't need to be like legalistic. Like you have to come to this and be in the building at this time. It's, it's all about coming together and learning and studying in large group and in small group. We need both. And, and, and if we're not passionate about, I mean, are we all satisfied with where we are? We all feel like we know enough. I know enough about God. Well, what I find out is the more I know about him, the more I want to know, the hungrier I get. And so we want to continue to devote ourselves to this. And it never gets old. It should never get boring that we got to not only learn, understand, but apply the word of God. We have the apostles teaching right here. We can apply it. There's one thing that you might have that God won't bless and he can't use. And that is your ignorance. God's not going to use or bless ignorance. That's why I need to learn. I need to grow. I need to want to know more and more and more. So they were devoted. And this takes a little bit of effort, folks. I mean, you can't, this doesn't happen by osmosis. You can't put your Bible under your pillow and it just soak in that way, right? Right? Okay. Somebody's like, well, I hadn't thought of that. But anyway, you got to study. You got to get in fellowship with study too. Because that's the next thing. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. Now, that's the Greek word. You've probably heard it before, koinonia. It literally means to have in common. Uh, there's things that were held in common. We often use the word sharing to describe this. In verse 44, it says, All who believed were together, had all things in common. That's fellowship. And even they, they were selling what they didn't need and then giving to those who had need. Now, this isn't communism. That's a satanic counterfeit and it didn't work. This is people legitimately loving and serving and ministering to one another. That's what that is. That's part of that fellowship because I've got something, whether it's material or whether it's spiritual or whether it's emotional or whether whatever, I've got something that God wants me to share with you and, and, and I've got needs and God's given you to share with me. That's how we grow. That's how we stay strong. There's a key part. of See, without all these things happening, we're not going to be an effective witness on the outside. Um, so they were continued devoted to that, but they were also devoted to worship. They were you see it all through here as they're praying, breaking bread, sharing the Lord's Supper, as they're praising God. They were devoted to that time of worship in the temple and then house to house as well. We see in verse forty six, and I don't see anybody complaining after three thousand people were added that you know, boy, church is just getting too big. Just don't even know everybody. Uh, 
You know, they weren't complaining about that. They'd come together, lift up their voices to God, and there was a place for people to get more plugged in and involved in smaller groups as they met from house to house. They could have experienced personal involvement. It wasn't, listen, I want to tell you, I, I, and I heard that in years past. And, you know, we went through God adding to our numbers, and we ended up having to get out of the meeting in the building we were in and, 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 and have this. You know, just if we wanted to not split into a couple of groups, that was just part of the the necessary tool that we had to have. But I want to tell you, there is no church in this community that's preaching and teaching the gospel and making disciples for Jesus Christ that is too big as long as there's one lost soul out here. Amen? And if we're not going to reach them, I hope somebody else steps up and does it. Because God's kingdom work is going to get done. He is going to accomplish his purposes. The question is, is do you and I want to be part of it? Do we want in on it? Because he's going to accomplish what he's set to do. And not only did they worship together, they had a healthy testimony. It says that they gained favor. It says they had favor with all the people. So the the non-church folk in Jerusalem took notice of them. The unbelievers had to admit, you know, there's something different about those folk. There's something different about how they handle their problems. There's something different how they handle misunderstandings. There's something different about how they're able to forgive each other and broken homes put back together and people who wanted to kill each other start hugging each other and praying for each other. There's something different about those folks. Are they saying that about us? That's a good question to think about. They had a healthy testimony. It affected the city by you know, their way of life. People could not deny their witness. The last thing is the outreach. Is All this stuff was happening within, within their body of believers. The instruction, the discipleship, the worship, worshiping God together, uh, ministry. Um, they were doing all these different things together. As they fellowshiped and as they grew, it was just an outgrowth of that. That they ended up reaching And touching the lives of all kinds of people. As these essentials were at work. We come to the part in the last verse where it says. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Who added? Well it was the Lord who added. But he used them as instruments of that. Okay. The Lord added but he used them. Daily. Daily. Yeah daily. The Lord added to their number. When they took what they were doing in the temple and from house to house, or we would say in our context, when they took what they were doing when they met at the church building and what they were doing in their private lives at home, when they took that out of the house and into the streets, the Lord added those who were being saved. So there was also daily. Do you notice these things were happening daily? God was adding daily. The answers... I mean, this answers the question of where the church was getting the power to affect the lives and win people to Christ every day. The Lord was doing. They were worshiping. They were fellowshipping. They were learning. They were growing day by day. Worshiping day by day. Serving day by day. They were learning day by day. Sharing every day. So it's no surprise that they were seeing results of other people coming to Christ day by day. There was a direct correlation between their inreach and their outreach. Between what was going on inside their lives and inside what 
they were doing when they came together and then what God was doing when they reached out. Now, what I'm trying to say is if we don't get it right in here and in here and in our homes, we're not going to be very effective out there. We can talk it and talk it, but we're not going to have an impact. Not one that's real. So, yeah, we need to be real. God wants us to be real. He's given the church in America so much. And it'd be a sin for us to keep what we have to ourselves. To draw our holy robes around us and say, this is just for us. And boy, isn't that disgusting what those people do. We need to have a vision of what God wants to do in us and through us. We're not just here to take up space and breathe up oxygen. We're here for him to work in and through us. And the power is God working through us. The Holy Spirit has empowered us for this very thing. So it is spirit-empowered discipleship, spirit-empowered worship, fellowship, spirit-empowered ministry as we serve one another and as we serve those outside. And then you're going to see spirit-powered evangelism as God brings us in. He brings people here and he brings us out there in contact with people who are ready to receive the good news. We need to have a vision of that and know that God wants to use each and every one of us. We need to keep allowing God to stretch us in ways that we've never imagined. And we need to keep asking him to do great things for his kingdom through us. Yeah, but we're just in this little old dinky town here in Hartville. What can God do? He loves to use the underdog, doesn't he? So the method and context... Uh, in which evangelism takes place is not a mysterious thing. It's the natural outgrowth and overflow of a church group of believers that has a vital, dynamic inreach through experiencing the necessities of worship, fellowship, ministry, and instruction in the Word. And they were a spirit-filled church because they knew they weren't going to do it in their own power. Remember this verse, Acts 1.8. Jesus had told them before He ascended, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. You will be. You're not doing it on your own. You're going to receive power. It's not just you. You're going to be a witness. What does a witness do? Testifies. What I know, what I've seen, what I've heard, what I've felt, you can do that. He's going to empower you. We take the good news to the world. It's not my job to do that. It's all of our job to do that. A lot of people in America, they want to come to church and do what I heard Adrian Rogers say one time, just come sit, soak, and sour. Right? (laughs) We just sit, soak, and sour. (laughs) And we become gospel consumers, and we're not gospel witnesses. When this happens, there's there's a problem. There's a spiritual problem. Because you're, you're noticing there's an absence of the Spirit's dynamic there. Because when He's there, there's power to do these things. But there's one big thing that I can't leave out before I wrap this up. And these are all things that we need to work on here so that we're more effective out there. Is that you notice that this was also a church of unity. They were together in one accord on that day of Pentecost when God had determined this is when I'm going to pour out my Spirit and the church age has begun. Satan hates unity. Now, unity is not uniformity. That doesn't mean we all look alike, smell alike, dress alike. 
wear our hair the same. That's uniformity. It doesn't mean that on non-essential things that we don't have different opinions. Because if we all had the same opinion on everything, that would be unanimity. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about unity. From all of our different backgrounds and all of our different experiences, from all of our different whatever, that he brings us together into one body of Christ. And that's a great mystery of the gospel that he's saying that God is doing in his kingdom from every ethnic group, from every people group, from every social group. I'm bringing together one in Jesus Christ. There's no distinction. Male, female, barbarian, Greek. It don't matter. One in Christ. Unity. Now, Satan is always sowing seeds of discord. And that's what you can expect in your family. You can expect it in your Bible study group. You can expect it, and it's going to be in our church, in our town, among churches that should be working together. Listen, Satan, just that's just his thing. Because he knows if he can keep us all separated, doing our own thing apart, we're not going to be as effective as if we come together. Unity is a powerful thing. The bottom line, if we're going to be authentic disciples of Jesus Christ, we've got to be involved in spreading the good news. We have to be. And this involvement is not just personal. It's the local mission of each church, each congregation, I should say. And the fire for evangelism is provided through worship, fellowship, ministry, and instruction in the Word, as we've seen here. Then that fire, is unleashed on the world so that, so that all kinds of lost people might be overwhelmed by the grace of God and the glory of God and come to Him. Maybe you're ready to receive that good news yourself today. Maybe you say, you know what, this right here would be a good time to just openly profess Christ, to say, I receive, I accept it. Uh, or maybe you got something you want to pray about, unrelated to what we talked about. Let's just, before we wrap it up and go on and forget, Let's, let's pray this in. Can we do that? So I want to stand and lead us in prayer. And I want you to feel free to respond in any way that you need to. You can come here and someone will pray with you. You can go pray with someone else. Whatever it is, we want to just have freedom today that this isn't just listening to a sermon because I'm supposed to, but let's interact with God's word and let him interact with our hearts. Father, 